You never minded the snow, did you, Tom? My good Canadian buddy. But that's where you go to ski. I guess you got Fred Bow as well and a few others. Hey, it's a delight for me to be here with you um, this morning and um, also this evening and open God's word with you. I don't know about you, but um, Christmas might be for you a distant memory. But I want to ask you a question. What special day was uh, last Sunday, the 6th of January? Do you know? Now, don't get fooled by Woolies. I know they were already selling hot cross buns, but this is not Easter yet. It was a special day, but it also begins with E, but it's not Easter. I wonder if you know. Well, it was Epiphany. Epiphany is the, the day in the Christian calendar when we remember how three men from the East, so-called wise men, they followed a star and they went and met up with the Christ child. Uh, you read about it in uh, Matthew chapter 2, in Matthew's Gospel. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like for those stargazers from the East? I mean, they heard the Gospel message. They heard about Christ, the Savior, the King, the true King. The one that was worthy of worship. As many of you know, my uh, main role here in Australia, when we moved here from Canada 11 years ago now, we, uh, my main role here is to help churches um, help their people to share the gospel. We know that there are more than 21 million people throughout Australia who do not know the message of Christ. Or at least they have not responded affirmatively to that message. So how do we get the message out? I mean, that is what people keep asking me. As I visit churches, as I meet with pastors, as I, as I talk to congregational members, I, they can ask me, you know, how do I share the gospel with my friends, my neighbors, my co-workers, guys and gals at uni, at school? People who don't know Christ, who are literally lost, what do we tell them? Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to equip you to share the gospel with others. I want to help you to know what to say and how to say it, and very simply, and to do it very simply and clearly from the story of Jesus. You can actually pick any passage in the Bible, just a few verses in the Bible, and use those verses to Tell the story, the good news of Christ. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at a few verses in the Bible. And through those verses, we're going to understand very simply and clearly the gospel message. The verses that we're going to look at are found in John chapter 7, uh, verses 37 to 39. I mean, those are only a few verses. You could easily memorize those verses. Or you can just have a copy of those verses with you as you share that with people. So here we go. Let's read these verses. John chapter 7. 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said, If anyone is thirsty, let him drink. And let him drink who believes in me. As the scripture has said, Streams of living water are flowing from within him. 
By this, Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, for Jesus had not yet been glorified. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our our heart be found pleasing in your sight. You are our rock, you are our redeemer. So guide us as we listen to your word, and we pray this in your good name. Amen. Let me ask you, have you ever been thirsty? I mean, very thirsty? Maybe like, um, like myself this past week, you, you spent some time working in the gardens, and, and you're out in the blazing heat, and you're sweating, and you just long for something cool and refreshing to drink. Or maybe you're playing out on the footy field or in the cricket and you're, you've been chasing the ball or you've been trying to bat the ball. And, and you're, if you're playing footy, you're chasing the opposing team up and down the field. You're, you're hot, you're tired, and you're very thirsty. What do you do? Well, you look for a drink, something to quench your thirst. In the mid-60s, there was a football team in Florida, in um, the United States. They realized that the reason why they were playing their sport so bad was that they were constantly being dehydrated by all their activity. So the team's doctors, they got together and they invented a drink to help hydrate the players so that they would be able to play better. And since this team was in the middle of alligator country, they called this drink Gatorade. This drink became a thirst quencher, and that year, this football team went on to win the Orange Bowl. I mean, if you're thirsty, what do you do? You you look for something to drink, something to pick you up, to give you energy, to give you a boost. The drink of choice for many people here in Australia is Coca-Cola. Every day, 1.9 billion bottles of this drink are consumed worldwide. And it's no wonder... In the 1920s, they said to us that thirst knows no season. In the 70s, they said, you know, if you open up Coke, you find life. You open up life because Coke adds life. And today, they tell us that if you open up a can of Coke, you open up happiness. So are you thirsty? Thirsty for a drink? For life? For happiness? Well, grab a Gatorade, grab a Coke, something to quench your thirst, for thirst knows no season. I mean, here in Australia, we know a lot about thirst. We moved here to Australia toward the end of the millennium drought, which lasted for 12 years. But the drought is really not over. So many parts of Australia still today experience drought-like conditions. It's so dry. Rivers are drying up, the land is parched, crops are burning up, livestock are dying, and farmers are suffering. Our neighbors to the south of us in New South Wales, they need two and a half years of constant rain in order to end the drought in their state. I mean, so many people are longing for the miracle of rain, for lots and lots of rain to fill up the dams and to allow the rivers to flow freely again. And life to abound. Now the ancient people of Israel, they knew a lot about drought. Back in their day, uh, in their country, there were months of no rain. 
everything would dry up and die. But then the winter and the spring rains would come and, and the crops would grow and the harvest would come. And at the harvest time, the people would come together and they would come together to celebrate and to give thanks to God. They would have a feast. And that feast would go on for seven days, giving thanks to God for the miracle of rain. And that is the feast, the feast where we find Jesus at in John chapter 7, the feast of tabernacles. Now, every day of that feast, there would be a water ceremony. People would go down to the bottom of the, of the Temple Mount and they would gather up water and they would bring up water in jugs and they would take that water on the temple and they would pour water out on the temple floor, giving thanks to God. They would pour out that water as a symbol of the miracle of rain. That was their way to give thanks to God because they knew that it was God who satisfies the thirsty. It was God who would turn the desert into pools of water and parched ground into flowing springs. Yes, it was God who supplies water to the thirsty. And hence, it's very appropriate that our Prime Minister today you know, calls us to pray to God for the miracle of rain, because He's the one that supplies the water. Well, as the people celebrate the miracle of rain, the people also remember a time in their history when their whole nation would have died if it were not for the miracle of thirst-quenching water. They were making their journey from Egypt to Palestine and they had no water to drink and they were all facing death. And so God went to Moses and He told Moses to go to a rock and just to speak to the rock and water would gush out of that rock and it would give enough water for everyone. Well, Moses figured God needed a little bit of help, just not speaking wasn't good enough, so he got his staff and gave it a good whack. And that prevented Moses from actually entering into the promised land because he disobeyed God. But in any case, water gushed out of that rock. And the livestock were watered and the people had fresh water to drink and life abounded again. Water gushed out of that rock. And so as the people are celebrating the miracle of rain, as they're remembering the story in their history, how water miraculously gushed out of this rock, Jesus stands up on the most important day of the feast, the last day, and He shouts. He raises His voice so that everyone could hear. And He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him drink, and let him drink who believes in Me. As the Scripture has said, living water, streams of living water, will flow from within Him. Jesus makes a massive claim. You want your thirst and lies to be quenched? Then go to Him. Go to Jesus. And drink the living water that He provides, for streams of living water are, are gushing, not out of us, but they're gushing out of Jesus. And it will satisfy your every thirst. All you have to do is drink. Remember back in Israel's history when water gushed out of that rock and the people had all of that life-refreshing water to drink? Well, later on, Paul refers to this. And he says, remember that rock? <laughs> the people drank from a spiritual rock. And that rock 
was Christ. Jesus is the life-giving source of water. Clean, refreshing, life-giving water streams are flowing out of the rock of ages, out of Jesus Christ, gushing out of the rock. And all you and I have to do is drink. Drink, that's all. Drink what? What does it mean to drink? What is this life-giving water that is gushing out of Jesus? How do we drink and what is it? What is it that Jesus actually gives us? What's, what's the massive claim that Jesus is making? Well, to drink is simply to believe in Jesus. Let him drink who believes in me, Jesus tells us. To believe is to put your trust in Christ. That's the claim. To, 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 to take the claim that Jesus is making about himself and to believe that it is actually true. You believe the claims that Jesus makes and you entrust yourself and all that you have to him. But believe what? What is the claim that Jesus is making about himself? And what difference does it make if we believe it or not? Well, the Bible tells us from cover to cover that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just turn to the person beside you and say, well, that's me. Because it is. It's me. It's us. It's everyone. In fact, the Bible says that there is no one righteous, not even one. No one who does good, not even one. See, our standard for what is good is not ourselves. It's not our mom, how beautiful and godly she was. Our standard for what is good is God. God is good. He's sinless. Absolute moral purity. We're told that Jesus was holy. He was blameless. He was pure. He was set apart from sinners. He was exalted above the heavens. In other words, you measure anyone up to Jesus. And even a six foot three bloke like me cannot measure up to him. I come up short. I might tower over a lot of people, but not Christ. And neither do you. None of us can. When we measure ourselves up with Jesus, we all fall short. And because of sin, there's misery, brokenness, and death. For the wages of sin is death. And death here is not simply referring to physical death, you know, just dying, but spiritual death. Because of sin, we are separated from God and the life He offers, and we see the misery all around us that sin brings. We see it in families that are fractured, in people who are hurting. In our world where there is fear and unrest, there's sickness and disease and death. And the claim that Jesus is making is this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not die, will not perish, but will have God's life, eternal life inside of them forever. 
That's Jesus' claim. That He's the one and only God, Son of God. And that because of God's love for you and me, He came down from heaven to earth. God sent His Son down to this earth to die, to pay sin's penalty. And die He did on an old rugged cross almost 2,000 years ago. For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you and me to God. That's why Jesus went to the cross, to pay the penalty for sin, for your sin, my sin, the sins of the world. And we know this penalty was paid because Jesus not only died, but he was buried. But the third day he rose again. He defeated sin and death by rising from the dead. He arose. He conquered sin and death once and for all. And this Jesus says, come. Come and drink. Believe in me. Believe because of my death and my resurrection, your sins are all forgiven. The sins of your past, the stuff that you'll continue to struggle with today, and even the things that you'll continue to struggle until God calls you home. All paid for in full. Forgiven. Nothing now separates you from God and from the life that he offers, the life that you can have today and for eternity. For as the Bible says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the free gift of eternal life. It's the gift of God. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this life that God offers us is a gift. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is drink. As Jesus says to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. So let me ask you again. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for life? For the life that God offers you? For the blessed assurance that all of your sins are paid for. For the promise that God will be with you today and for in all of your tomorrows. For the blessing of life in all of its fullness so that in the place of your weakness you will find strength. In the place of your failures that you will find success. In the place of your brokenness you will find wholeness. And when the whole shooting match of life is over, your life will continue to be with God and with all the saints for eternity. You'll not have to die, but you will have life with God forever. Are you thirsty for this life? Then drink. All you got to do is drink. Living water, life-giving water is gushing, gushing out of Jesus just for you. And all you have to do is drink. Accept the claims that Jesus is making. Believe it, trust it. Be convicted in your heart that the life that you've been searching for is found in Christ. That everything that he said about himself is actually true. Have you taken that drink? That drink of life-giving water? Maybe you're at a point in your own life, you're not ready yet accept the free offer of forgiveness and receive that gift of life that God offers you. Perhaps you don't think that the offer is real. 
You don't think that Jesus was who he said he was. Well, my friends, there's only two alternatives. Either Jesus was a liar or he was a lunatic. Either Jesus' claims were false or they're true. Now, if they're false, then Jesus was a liar or a lunatic. Let me explain it. Jesus knew that he wasn't God. If Jesus knew that, that he wasn't God, then he was a liar. And if he was a liar, then he was a hypocrite because he also lived a lie. And more than that, he would be completely evil because Jesus went out and said to people, if you put your trust in me, that I have the authority to forgive your sins, that God will forgive all of your past through what I am doing. And Jesus was telling everyone that. And if he was saying that, and he knew it was a lie, and he was completely evil. And if he was a liar, then he would have been a fool as well. For he went to his death because he claimed that he was God and had the power to forgive sins. Somebody who lived as Jesus lived, who taught as Jesus taught, who died as Jesus died, could not have been a liar. Then he must have been a lunatic. Because he thought he was God, but he was mistaken. But if his claims are true, then Jesus is both Lord and God, and there's only two options available for you. One, you can accept him as the Son of God who died on the cross to pay for the penalty of sin so that you could have the free gift of the water of life for now and for eternity. Or you can reject him and suffer the consequences of your decision. I thought a lot about that this past week. Because one of my biking buddies is a neighbor across the road. And I remember not long ago I had three opportunities where on a, a long bike ride on a Saturday, you know, I had, I had opportunities to share with him the good news of Jesus Christ. But because of stuff of his past, he couldn't accept it, that it was real. And on Wednesday night, he had a massive heart attack sitting in his car at work. And I went and visited his wife across the road. and I didn't know what to say because I didn't know about his eternity. See, the decision how we respond is up to us. And I don't know if Gary ever responded. Perhaps you might accept that Jesus was real. But perhaps you don't think you need help. You're not that bad. Why do you need to be forgiven? I mean, when you were a young person, I mean, your dad taught you the golden rule to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And throughout your life, you've been trying to do that. You've been trying your darndest to be a good person. And if you're going to get forgiveness and eternal life, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, you are going to get it because, you know, you've been being a good person your whole life. But, you know, the Bible is very clear that we all need the offer that Jesus gives. The Bible says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have, we, de- we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar and his word is not in us. We've all sinned. 
And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one that does good. Perhaps for you, you refuse to accept anyone's charity. You believe that you need to pay for your own mistakes. I mean, if you're going to get forgiveness or eternal life, it's because you've earned it. And you know, every religion in this world, every major religion, teaches that. Even secularism today. I mean, if you want to be saved, if you want to reach nirvana, if you want to go to paradise, if you want to be set free, if you want to be successful in life, then do something about it. Make a pilgrimage. Say your daily prayers. Get an education. Do some fasting. Do this or that and and you'll finally reach it. Nirvana, paradise, heaven, bliss. Follow a bunch of rules and one day you'll earn it. But God says, come to me, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. What God offers you, you can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. And my friends, that's what sets Christianity apart from every religion in this world, including secularism. Salvation is not something that you and I get because of what we do. It's not what we earn. Life is not what, something you pay for. The water is free. It's without cost. It's a gift. All you have to do is drink. Well, perhaps you're here this morning because you feel too guilty to believe that you could ever be relieved from that guilt. The guilt of your sin. You know the sin in your life. As many times at night, you know, you think not only of the stuff that you do today, but the stuff, the sins of your youth, of your past, the brokenness and the failures. And sin. And guilt condemns you. Condemns your heart. Well, if you flip over the page from the story we have in John 7, you come to chapter 8, and you find Jesus is there, and He's kneeling in the dirt. And He's writing in the dirt with His finger in the sand. And in front of him, there is a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And the people of that day felt that anyone who did that kind of sexual sin had such guilt that it had to be punished by stoning. And people all around were picking up rocks and they were picking up stones and and they were ready to throw it at this woman. And and Jesus looks at the crowd and and He says to them, He was without sin. Be the first one to throw a rock. Now it's interesting that one by one, those stones, they just went to the ground. And everyone left until there was just Jesus and this woman. Jesus looked at this woman and he said, Woman, where are they? All those people that were ready to stone you to death. Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, says Jesus. 
Go now and leave your life of sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you know the sting of guilt and there have been many who have thrown stones at you in your life. But Jesus comes to you today and he just simply says, come. Come and drink the living water that I'm offering you. Receive the forgiveness I give to you. I know what you've done. Like this woman, it might have been just a massive sexual sin in your life and, and people are ready to hang you up to dry, to even to put you down and to get rid of you because of what you've done. And I know the stuff that you struggle with today and that I don't condemn you. In fact, I, instead, I invite you now to be free from your sin. I, I want to help you to be free from your life of sin. All you have to do is drink. For when you drink the living water that Jesus gives, when you believe in Him, you receive the Holy Spirit. The rivers of living water that are gushing out of Jesus to you as the Holy Spirit. As John reminds us, he says, by this He meant the Spirit. See, when you are believe in Jesus, when you entrust yourself to Jesus, you are born again. And water of Jesus, His Spirit gushes out of Him and it gushes into you. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and you now have victory over sin. Filled with the presence of God, you can now go and leave your life of sin and find the life that God gives to you. All you have to do is drink. Come all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come and simply take the water that Jesus offers and drink. In the final pages of the Bible, this invitation is given one last time. It's almost as God orchestrated the putting together of scriptures. He didn't only say it once, twice, three times, but one last time, the fourth time, is in the last page of the Bible. This invitation is given. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes... Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. That's something you wish for. Listen to this invitation. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Come. Then come. Come home. Perhaps you've already come. But did you notice who gives this invitation? Not only does God give this invitation, but the bride gives the invitation. That's us. If you are a Christ follower, you're part of His bride, the church. That's you. That's me. His bride. And you've heard the gospel. You've responded to the gospel. And now it's up to you to share the gospel. To find opportunities to meet with your family members and your neighbors and your co-workers and the people at union at school and, and on the streets and in life, wherever you go, to the many, many people in life, in your life, in my life who are lost, the 21 plus million people in Australia, you don't have to look far, they're all around us. 
Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of you. The life-giving water, eternal life, the water of life. And that's an invitation that you and I can, can give to people. Don't invite them to church. Invite them to Jesus. Because when they find Jesus, they're filled with His Spirit. And they just want to be part of His bride. And they want to come to church. Don't drag Him here. Bring Him to the Savior. Invite them to drink. I'm not going to assume that everyone who's here this morning has already come to Jesus. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the good news of Jesus. Will you come? Will you come to Jesus? Listen to these words. very simple easy as ABC just come just admit that you're a sinner 
You don't have everything together. You've done stuff in your life that there's regrets, failures, brokenness. You might have not only busted up your own life, but you busted up that of others. Just admit it. Then believe. Believe that what Jesus said about himself is actually true. That he is the Christ. And that through his death and resurrection, he has forgiven you from all of your sins. And you now have life. Life now and forever. His life inside of you for now and eternity. Nothing can take you away from God when you trust that. Not even death. You'll be with Him forever. And then simply, you need to confess it. Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was the Christ and was risen from the dead and He is Lord, you'll be saved. You've got to tell others about it. You've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus actually is the Lord of your life. You need to surrender it all to Jesus. And that doesn't mean you have to stand up here and tell a whole crowd of people. It means you just go to the person that you came to church with and you said, you know what, today I've received Jesus. I've given my life to Him. And from now on, I want to live for Him. And then you'll be part of a church that will help you to live it out. And this is a wonderful place to live it out. Because here you'll find ways and means to be the kind of people that God would want you to be. It's going to come into a time of prayer and everyone just bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a moment just before God. There might be some of you this morning that um, God has been speaking to and has been tugging at your heart and, and maybe there's been a time in your life where you did receive him but you sort of slipped and you've fallen and or maybe you've never done it yet and if that's you if you want to receive Christ today I just invite you just to put up your hand no one's going to I'm not going to freak you out or do anything weird just put up your hand I want to just pray for you that already is a testimony to God that you are at that point in your own life where you made a decision for Jesus to follow Him. Let me pray. And if that's been you, just pray this prayer with me. I'll pray it slowly so you can just say it in your own heart and in your own life. Lord Jesus, I need You. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for life-giving water. I believe that You are the Son of God risen from the dead. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins and giving me life now and forever. And fill me now with this life-giving water. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and, and help me leave my life of sin. Be the kind of person you've always meant me to be. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. If you prayed that prayer today, 
probably for the first time or maybe the second or third time and it's meant something to you, I just encourage you to talk to somebody else today and tell them what you did. Come and talk to me as well. I'll be around after the service. Or talk to Pastor Adam, Pastor Ben, or Nathaniel, or one of the other pastors or workers here in this church, and they'll, they'll help you along in your journey. We're going to shift now in our service to remember the time when Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room. And he went there on the night before he was betrayed, and when he went to the cross, and he went there to celebrate the Passover. Remembering how God passed over, you know, many, many years ago when they were in Egypt and they did not find death, but they found life as God led them to the land of promise. And God has taken each one of us on that same journey and He wants us to experience what it means to pass over the guilt of our own sin and, and to find the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So as the disciples were eating lamb and as they were breaking bread and as they were drinking cups of wine. Jesus took two elements of that Passover celebration and he said, you know what happened so many years ago? All of that was pointing to me. Jesus took the bread and he broke that bread and he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Because when you break this bread, you remember that my body was given for you for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins. And Jesus took the third cup of the Passover celebration. That's why some of our Christian brothers and sisters, you know, call it the Eucharist because it means blessing. It's a cup of blessing. It's a cup of thanksgiving. And Jesus says, I want you to take the, that cup and I want you to drink that cup and I want you to give thanks to God that all of your sins have been forgiven. So in just a few moments, we're going to uh, receive the bread and receive the cup. Together, we're going to replay what Jesus did so that we will remember and not forget what Jesus has done for us. I want to lead you in a time of prayer. And after this prayer, I'm going to end with the Lord's Prayer. And if you know those words, I just invite you to pray those words with me. Lord our God, send your Holy Spirit so this bread and this cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all your people be united together with Christ and be remain faithful in hope and love. And Lord, as many grains of wheat have been gathered together into one loaf, we pray that you would gather your whole church in the glory of your kingdom. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. And as we partake of the bread and as we partake of the cup, may we remember anew and believe anew what you've done for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray and we say together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we also forgive the sins of others. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, 
us is the power and the glory forever. People of God, the Lord has prepared His table for all who love and trust Him alone for their salvation. So all who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who desire to live in obedience to Him, are now invited to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. The way we do this at Bray Park is we just invite you to come from the back. You'll be guided by Jim and others to come forward and then we're going to have others up here who will take the elements and present them to you. You can take the bread and take the cup. Return to your seats and together we will eat, remember, and believe. things are ready.